The early 2000s were an iconic era for television. Sitcoms were thriving, HBO dramas were the talk of every office, and the world was glued to series that would go on to influence pop culture for decades to come. But it was one genre that would completely change what TV was. That's right, we're talking about the beloved reality show. Today we look at the 2002 tale of 30 reality TV hopefuls and one man who promised them the opportunity of a lifetime. But of course, that's far from what they'd receive. Welcome to Fakes and Frauds. to join us again for today's reality tv themed episode we are joined by a wonderful comedian and writer who is absolutely smashing the london comedy circuit recently he's also working on his upcoming show for camden fringe and if you're lucky may just be doing a show near you very soon it is the one the only damon bamra hi welcome to the show thanks for coming thanks for having me what, yeah, what, what a lovely, a lovely way to spend, spend this very warm evening in London town. We are here today to discuss, I mean, I know you're not supposed to choose favourites, but <laughs> this is definitely my, my favourite case that has been on the programme. I am obsessed with this case. And even though I have yeah. been researching it for, you know, the last week or so, I don't think this is the end. I don't think this is you know, the end of our journey, me in this case. I think we will go on to have many more nights together. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I, I don't really want to unpack that. I think I'm going to leave that to you in the case. Sounds like you have a the kind of relationship I shouldn't really be interrupting, but, you know, I'll do it for an hour. It's just one of these stories that you're just, there are so many layers, so many routes to explore, I don't know how I hadn't heard of it. And maybe you have because, you know, you grew up here. But mm-hmm. honestly, watch this space. I, I could be directing a documentary. It's, it's, it's a great one. So now that the bar is extremely high, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like to know. Mm-hmm. 2001, right? Where were you? Oh, that's a good question. 2001. Well, given that I was... Eight years old, I would like to think I was either in uh, a park somewhere being supervised by an adult, uh, but having loads of fun at the same time, don't get me wrong, Uh, or, you know, at my parents' house, or just, you know, just generally under someone's guidance, I think, in school. I I basically was uh, messing about doing things I couldn't really tell you about because I don't remember I don't remember that far back but I'd like to think perhaps I was um, eating an ice cream uh, or maybe cereal depends on the time of day that sort of thing (laughs) living your best life sounds like just exactly just didn't know what the future had ahead of him not care in the world yeah you didn't you didn't even care about those grown-ups lurking over you you were like listen I'm you can't control me at this point I was used to it I just thought look they're gonna be here I know that now We've gone to the park enough times that I know I have to put up with your face while I'm on this swing, but I'll take it, okay? 
as long as I get to have my time undisturbed, fine. <laughs> that was my attitude. That was my attitude towards it. Very healthy, I would say. Yeah, just honestly, can't fold it. Um, okay, well, while you were doing that, um, mm. the world was going through a very exciting time um, because reality TV had just kind of come to be in the world, right? Oh, yeah. So we had Big Brother. We had, in Canada, we had Survivor, but I think it's called, you did one called Castaway? You, did okay. you? Yeah. Was that your Yeah, work? me, Passy. Yeah, I just, in my early days as a producer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very busy eight-year-old, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there was, there was like one called Castaway here, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. A long time ago, though. It's not really been a thing for a while, has it? Mm. Well, I think, well, Survivor, I think, is still going. I think it's on, like, season 89 or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it's apparently it's, a, it's the magic number, you know. So that's where, like, Fast and Furious is up to as well, isn't it? Obviously, yeah, that's, exactly. that's what you got to do. That's, I think that's particularly when things really kick off. I like to come in on the oh, 89th yeah. season once <laughs> the characters have been developed. You're thinking, yeah, they've by this point, they've figured it out. Yeah. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be there in the first, the first few where they're, you know, nah. just waddling around. It's a waste um, of time. Okay, so yeah, very exciting time, two thousand one, right? So we had we had some mm. reality TV. Everything was going great. I mean, not really. There was a lot. There was there was a, <laughs> there were issues in the world. They were different flavor to the issues now. So let's look back in fondness. Thank you. So. I'm going to be telling you a story today that's based in this beautiful era and around this theme. Okay. And I think, if you don't mind, we'll just, just smash it out, shall we? I, I don't mind at all. I say go for it. The crux of our story today takes place in quite a magical time. Society had just come to realise that the Y2K threat was merely that. The internet was still in its infancy and much of the Western world had been sucked into the new genre of telly. Reality TV. Very much a part of the population inflicted with the reality TV fever, a young man from the south of England decided to try his hand at producing a reality TV programme unlike any other. This ambitious man was born in 1977 in Farnham, Surrey, as Keith Anthony Gillard. His friends and family would go on to know him by many names, changing it to Jack Lister in his 20s, before changing it once again to Nikita Russian, but going simply by Nick. <laughs> I, I really like that. You know, a, 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 that's a man who knows what he wants, but like really doesn't at the same time. Yeah, he's very confident in his choices. <laughs> like he announces to his family, like, "Oh, everyone, listen from from now on, there's no more Keith. Keith is dead. Uh, for I am Jack." <laughs> and then a bit later, he's like, "Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. Nice to see you again." Uh, you know, <laughs> you know how I was saying about that. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that Jack stuff I was talking about? Ah, oh, no, I don't know what I was. I don't really know what I was saying that day because I obviously meant to say Nikita, but you know, little admin error there. But yeah, definitely Nikita. But obviously, you guys, are family, call me Nick. It's fine. Um, yeah, I think like going from Keith to Jack is like okay, fair enough. Keith, I get there's a there's a, a vibe to a Keith. You know, I I wouldn't want to be a Keith personally. I'd rather be a Jack. Fair. Agree. But then to go from that to Nikita Russian. Yeah. I know. I, I tell you what, the, the linking factor there is just the K, isn't it? Listen, as long as there's a K in the name, 
<laughs> Come on, Damon. Um, I mean, um, I've said on this show before that if I can make it nearly 30 years under Glennis, <laughs> then no one has any right <laughs> to rebrand. <laughs> No. If anyone's rebranding here, it's me, and I'm not going to do it because I think it's weird. So the dramatic name changes may have been an indicator of this young man's affinity for theatrics, but it's likely that those around him would still go on to be taken back by just how far he would take things. In 2002, at age 25, Nick Russian, that's what we're calling him now, he wants to be called that, <laughs> fine, get what you want. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick Russian had dropped out of Goldsmith University, where he was studying English, and began working at the Piccadilly Circus branch of Waterstones, a popular chain of bookshops in the UK. This, he decided... Big yeah, big up, big up Waterstones. Big up Waterstones. So yeah, he decided at this time, hey, no better time like the present, working part-time, dropped out of uni, gonna be a TV producer. So Nick, his leather jacket and his rollies, got to work taking out ads in various entertainment magazines and newspapers, looking for, quote, characterful, resourceful, and energetic people to apply for the chance to, quote, raise their profile and potentially win an impressive £100,000. Wow. He went on to email out thousands of applications and start this audition process. Hundred grand in 2002 as well. That's, that's like £50 million in today's money. Yeah. It's not really, I but it's, uh, it's a lot. Let's go it's with a it. Lot. Let's go with it. Yeah, yeah, big time. Also, a characterful, resourceful, and energetic people. That's the That was the quota, was it? AKA people who are up for anything to be broadcast on live TV, basically. Yeah. yeah. And did he even uh, need to say it? Because if you're going to apply for a reality show, you're probably going to have those anyway you're going to yeah i'd I'd like to think someone you read that and thought you know what i'm pretty characterful yeah resourceful yeah why not i've definitely got the energy you know what that hundred grand is mine yeah and they all have that exact same thought process exactly so he he gets all these applications of course and after gathering those who made it through the initial audition phases, a group was gathered to perform a task that would determine whether or not they would secure a spot on the show. Nick Russian, alongside a crew of cameramen and production assistants, briefed the group of hopefuls with one simple yet admittedly comical task. Make a cake. But this wouldn't be a Great British Bake Off situation. Mm. These folks would need to gather all the ingredients and tools by knocking on the doors or approaching unsuspecting people in the street and relying on their goodwill to help them out. And of course, they need to find a way to bake the cake and return it back to the meeting point. And all of this was to be completed in one hour. <laughs> Sorry, what? One hour? It was kind of plausible up until then. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Trying to, just trying to literally. So you've got, wait, so you've got nothing. You have zero ingredients to the cake. So you have to literally get all the ingredients and bake the cake and like come back in, in an hour with a cake. Yeah. That's a, surely, surely an impossible task. Surely. Well, you would, you obviously would not make it on the show. You're not very resourceful, are you? I'm realistic. Okay. Well, take your bad attitude elsewhere because these guys <laughs> are going to make it happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, look, I'm color me intrigued. I can, this guy's onto something. I'm, Hold I'm on in. to your pants. <laughs> Tightly. 
The team were filmed as they rushed to complete the task, fueled with adrenaline that came from knowing that they were in the final stages of the process and their actions could determine whether or not they were chosen for this mysterious new programme for one of the UK's biggest broadcasters, Channel 4. Following these final stages of the audition processes, many waited in hopes that this would be their chance to experience a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a year-long project that may end with a sum of money in the bank that many could only dream of having. Um, Have you ever signed up to go on reality TV? I've never signed up to it, no. Why not? Oh, it's a good question. It's a very good question. You know what? I think... I think if there was a reality TV show that I would sign up to, it would be The Apprentice, right? right. That is, it's one of my all-time favorite shows. Like, it's an OG one as well. That one's been going for ages, hasn't it? It's Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think I would be great on it. Like, I mean, I know, look, did I, did I display some sort of doubt when talking about the cake task? Sure. But, you know, on The Apprentice... All the tasks they do, right? They just, they seem so, they seem fun. I'm not going to lie. And it doesn't look that hard. Like Lord Sugar goes, he goes, he goes, right, I'm going I'm to give you some bacon, lettuce, tomatoes and bread. Now, I need you to go and sell it. I don't know how, but just go do it. And then everyone comes back like, um, we juggled the bacon and bread and we didn't know what to do with the lettuce. Guys, <laughs> why is everyone so useless? Like, and Lord Sugar's there, like shaking his head, like, "What was it?" I think I'd smash it, honestly. But you can't even handle the pressure of a cake. Listen, that was one hour. That's an impossible task. Okay, if that if that was on The Apprentice, I would reassess. But on The Apprentice, they would say, "Make a cake, right? Buy all the ingredients. Um, we'll give you we'll give you three days." And I'd be like, <laughs> "I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. Okay, fine, okay. not three days, but like they'd be like, right, go and buy the ingredients in the morning, and then." make like 20 cupcakes and then everyone's like everyone just struggles and i'm like guys how hard can it be and i know everyone says oh yeah but when you're there you don't know you don't know it's easy but like i think i could do it i was just gonna say i guess that like a lot of the struggle is probably having to interact with other people who also want to be on reality tv yeah that's it I think that's it. Yeah, because you like always Greg, think... who's been out of work actor for like forty years, and is still <laughs> is still waiting, and just you know wants all the airtime. And then there's like Lucinda, who's like having a fucking breakdown every five seconds. I know, I know, and they've all got to come in with like a ridiculous quote to like promote themselves as well. <laughs> Yeah, these like weird slogans and stuff. Yeah, like super silly. Yeah, like yeah, I've pretty much reinvented the formula for air. I'm gonna change the world. What? Like, just calm, just calm down, Brad. Like, you know, you you you're a small business owner, and I respect that. Just you know, just just calm down a little bit. I like you more. I like you more if you're realistic. I think realism is my thing. I'm realizing this now. What doesn't make for good telly though, is it? It doesn't. It doesn't. Maybe that's that's why I've not made it on reality TV so far. Would you? Would you go on reality TV? One million percent. Yeah. Yeah. What have you applied? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, what did What did you apply to? Come on. I think the better question is, what didn't I apply to? <laughs> <laughs> There's, oh a, my there's been a few, a few. 
Um, What's your favorite one? Which one would you like most want to be on? Oh, how do you choose? I There's so many good ones. Like back in the day, Big Brother, a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know what it. I don't think it even exists now. And if it does, it's probably shite. Hunted. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. See, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd last ten minutes on Hunted. They'd be like, "You seen that guy? He's you know brown guy, big beard." They're like, "Oh, that guy. Yeah, he went that way." And then fifteen years later, I'd be like, "Oh shit." I guess, I guess I've been found. Also, can you imagine me like knocking on people's door? Hey, you guys, can I just come in for a bit? Um, yeah, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> in fact, actually, I think on one of the most recent versions or recent series of Hunted, yeah, there were a couple of brown guys. Yeah. And when these kind of hunters, for, oh yeah, I should probably explain for the international listeners. Basically, there's this program called Hunted and there's like all these pairs, sometimes they're single, but mostly pairs of people who kind of have to try to like evade this like professional state-of-the-art team of like agent, hunting agents, I don't know what you call them, like spikes sort of things, I don't know. Um, and then they, so there's basically these people have to like try to evade CCTV. They have, they can't use their bank cards. They can't use their phones and stuff, all this stuff. And they basically have to like reach a certain point and then they might get some dollar bills. Um, but yeah, so they, these hunters go around the country and sometimes they'll, they'll go up to members of the public and say, have you seen this person? And <laughs> the poor brown guys did get quite a few people who were like, Oh, I sense that maybe something like did it have anything to do with Qaeda? <laughs> oh no. Oh god, see? This is it. This is exactly what I was afraid of. And it's like, oh my god, you you've just outed yourself as a racist and they're not even criminals. <laughs> so, <laughs> like <laughs> No, it's it's actually for a channel four thing, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so yeah, yeah. No, that's sorry. Slip of the tongue. I meant to, yeah, I meant to say Channel Four. Hmm. <sighs> um, okay, yeah, that that might come with a few complications for you, but you know, not for me. Yeah. So not for you. Not for you. Is that the one? Time. That would be a really fun one. So we've decided we're going on hunted. Great. Um, nice. Right. So one of these contestants is quoted as saying. I don't think I slept for about 48 hours thinking that I was going away for a year anywhere in the world, all paid for and getting to meet people I probably never would have dreamt of mating. So, you know, obviously people were very excited. After informing the successful candidates, they were told they had just one month to make arrangements to be away for the full 12 months. This would mean giving notice at your work, leaving the lease on your flat and saying goodbye to friends and family. Wow. When the day came to start their new adventure, three teams of 10 were instructed to gather at various locations around London where they were told that they would finally be provided with all the information they need to get started on this year-long adventure. So when they arrived, they were greeted by a camera crew and a woman named Lucy, who was employed to co-host the show. Lucy herself was not aware of the premise until just moments before she had to make the announcement to the teams. So what is their challenge? Well, their challenge is to basically make one million pounds. Simple as that. They have empty pockets. They're starting completely from scratch. And they can do anything they want. They can make this money any way they choose. Oh my gosh. That's right. Oh my gosh. That's ridiculous. They had signed up to a show where they could potentially win a million pounds, split amongst them, of course. 
The only, <laughs> the only catch was they had to make that money. <laughs> this guy's a genius. Yes, there are very much two sides to the coin, and that is one of them. But let's let let's see let's see what pans out here. Because that's like I remember, I remember one time I went to a joke writing workshop, and it was like a it was like a drop in thing. You know, you could like anyone could join, and they had different people running it. And one time, um, one time I walked in, and the person running it just said. Um, yeah, uh right so write ten jokes and then, then we'll go we'll go through them. And I was like, write ten jo- if I could just write ten jokes, I wouldn't be here. Like <laughs> oh yeah, just yeah, just the thing you want to do. Yeah, just do it and then we'll be done. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Okay, that's how it works. Cool, cool, cool. Amazing. Yeah, and I think that one of one of the contestants uh, had a kind of similar reaction, and she's you know seen in this documentary, you know, responding to this uh, sort of announcement, saying, "If I wanted to make a million dollars, if I thought I could make a million dollars in a year, that's exactly what I would be doing right now. I wouldn't need to <laughs> to have given up my flat and given up my job and do all those things. I would just be doing that." So the reactions from these individuals were, were mixed, but obviously confusion was present throughout them all. Here they were, standing with giant rucksacks full of their belongings, needed for a year, expecting to travel the world, completing tasks, having all their costs covered by the production company, only to realise that the programme was obviously quite different from what they had signed up for. So on top of of learning that they'd have to earn their own cash prize, they also found out that their promised accommodation, food and spending money didn't exist. Many, of course, were very angry. They dropped everything for this all-expenses-paid project that would boost their profiles, give them the chance to win all this money. Producer Nick Russian had much to answer for. Classic Nick. This would be a good time to change your name again. Get back to the registry office. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hello guys, me again. Yep. Uh, yep. If you could just turn turn to page K again, please. I'm looking for another one. <laughs> Kane. Yep. Uh, yep. We'll go with that this time. Thank you. Yeah. Why? Uh, no reason. No reason. Hey, if someone asks here looking for Nick, you didn't see me. All right. Okay. Thanks guys. Wow. So one of the contestants was quoted as saying, the contracts were ridiculous. We were meant to put our money into bank accounts, which Nick would have access to. Looking back, the whole thing was dodgy, but he was very convincing. And nobody wants to believe that their dream is going to come to an end. For two months, I'd been floating on a cloud, believing that the £100,000 would enable me to go back into education, buy a house, live my dreams. I was very unwilling to let that go. And fair enough, that must have been devastating. I can, I can only imagine... I can only imagine leaving everything behind for a hundred grand, you know, which, okay, again, to reiterate, probably the equivalent to like a million pounds or something. It was five, I think it was five million we decided. Oh, really? Five million? Yeah. Oh, oh, well, yeah, we did. Yeah, actually, yeah. Five million. And then, yeah, exactly. Very important to factor in. Yeah, it's very, uh, very heartbreaking. I can only imagine what he was going through. Um I mean, did he, I want to know, did these guys, 
They they signed contracts, yeah. They did sign contracts, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess no lawyers looked at these these contracts before they were signed. I think that there was something about like they would they would they would receive the the second half of their contracts when they arrived at these locations or something like that. It was wow, and yeah, I mean, you think like there does seem to be some red flags, but at the same time, it was it was you know reality TV was very much you know, in its prime. And I think, well, we all know my history with applying for reality shows. So I think, I think we all know exactly what I would be doing if I was approached for this opportunity. So absolutely. Each group tried to process this bombshell in their own way. One group was able to gather their thoughts at a flat share that one of the participants had left a mere hours earlier. While they were there, they relayed their situation to a young woman who lived at the property when they mentioned the name Nick Russian, her ears perked up. Hmm, Nick Russian. Do you mean? Do you mean Jack? No. Who? Hmm. Could be thinking of Keith. <laughs> Sorry. Keep talking. Keep talking. Nick Russian. Okay. So, in a strange coincidence, this woman worked with a man the same unique name at a bookstore in central London. After describing his appearance, they were able to confirm that this had been the same man. If the group needed any more proof that this well-to-do producer was anything but, this was it. Okay, so they're on to him now. Working in a creative industry, obviously lots of people have day jobs and that kind of thing. Of course. But these are very contrasting roles, weren't they? I wouldn't say they go hand in hand. Um, I mean, maybe he was like reading loads of books about like how to become a producer at Waterstones. But that's probably the extent of the connection. So, unsure of exactly what to do, but with the desire to not completely throw in the towel, the third group took refuge in one of the cameramen's flats in Dalston, East London. So Tim Eagle was trying his hand at becoming a professional camera operator when he agreed to take on this job unpaid. Duped, just like the rest of them, he showed the desire to get to the bottom of things and confront Nick. As the team were airing their grievances about the fiasco, Mr. Russian appeared at the door. He claimed, like everyone else, he had given up his flat and requested a spot on Tim's floor along with the others. You know what? At this point, you've got to respect him a little bit, don't you? You have to respect him a little bit. He's just gone. He's just doubled down on the lies. He's just been like, no, yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, what? You guys are upset about being lied to yep same 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 cool so what's for dinner guys what are we eating what's the deal what's up yep we're all in this together we're all in this together come on guys oh, it's me it's that, Nick. i wish that film had come out before 2002 <laughs> obviously this group was was still very angry and confused but they decided to keep the peace mm. perhaps out of sympathy for this increasingly tragic seeming character or perhaps due to Tim's impeccable people management skills and communicating his zero-tolerance policy towards any form of disrespect to his personal abode. So over the week-long stay in the flat, the team decided that the dynamic of the group is strong, the footage was there, and no one had anything to rush back to. So why not try their hand at playing Nick Russian at his own game? Tim continued to film every waking moment of the ordeal and even set up a video diary room not dissimilar to the one in Big Brother, a program that the group would watch each night and draw inspiration from. 
After pitching their story to various news outlets, one decided that it warranted a segment on its evening show. So Nick, still staying with the group, was not made aware of the group's canoodlings with the press and was caught off guard when the news crew showed up to the flat. Oh. Despite the negative lens that Nick would likely be presented through from this news programme, Nick accepted the invitation to be on television. Head in his hands, furrowed brow, Nick commented on the situation saying, quote, I'm a figure of hate now, and I think rightly so. <laughs> so cameraman Tim and the group of reality TV hatefuls did end up experiencing a hint at the limelight after the story was aired and went on to appear on a few additional news programs to discuss the story, some disclosing that they had had to return to their childhood bedrooms and were struggling to find work after the incident. Moose, understandably, remained furious with Nick Russian and still felt as though he aided them, not just financial compensation for the harm inflicted, but also an explanation for everything. Did he ever intend to make a show at all? Was it some kind of sick joke? Was it purely for financial gain? After all, he would have had direct access to the group's earnings should they have gone through with the challenge. In the research conducted following the ordeal, various participants were able to uncover a pile of damning evidence. First, the production company that he claimed to run, NRP, was registered to his friend's flat share in South East London. And the woman who worked the phones through the audition process? That was his mother taking calls from her home in Farnham. Wow. That is, that's crazy. Okay, so, so mum's in on it too. Well, we don't, we don't know for sure if mum's in on it, but mum was definitely somewhat aware of what was going on. Perhaps he was lying to her as well. So Daniel Pope, another participant, managed to find Russian in a flat share in Richmond after filming. Accompanied by a TV crew, he confronted Russian on his web of lies and conniving behaviour. Nick didn't really have much to say for himself, and eventually Pape and the crew left, perhaps aware that this man had nothing to offer them. Miraculously, it turned out that despite the trouble Russian had put these 30 reality TV hatefuls through, he had not actually committed any crime. There was, of course, always the option to sue Russian for his hardship that he caused the group, but ultimately they decided not to take this route as it would cause even more financial strain on the group than they had already experienced. Reflecting on the experience, one contestant stated, quote, When I discovered that things were going wrong for Nick, I was sympathetic at first. I thought he'd had a wonderful dream of being a TV producer and it had all fallen apart for him. I actually felt sorry for him. But now I've pieced the story together, I realise he was a con man. He had a fantasy of making something happen and he abused a lot of people along the way. It's fine that he put his own life on the line, but it's unforgivable that he hurt so many people. It was awful losing that dream. I got depressed. I wish I'd never known what it felt like. Wow. God, I feel bad, man. I feel bad for Debbie and the, and the rest of the crew. Because, yeah, man. Yeah, they've just dropped their whole lives. They've dropped their whole lives for this. It's not, yeah, I mean, and that kind of feeling of being so excited about something that easily could have been an absolutely life-changing experience. Like, that's that's kind of hard to quantify, you know? Yeah. God, they should have just gone on The Apprentice. That's the mistake they've made here. Oh, my God, that's what they should have done. They should have all, they, The Apprentice should have came in and swooped them up like a little injured bird oh, and then yelled being... at them. <laughs> For not making cupcakes. <laughs> Good They've been like, this is impossible, Lord Sugar. Give us more than an hour. Who are you, Nick Russian? 
No, give us a realistic task, for God's sake. Like, all right, all right, fine. Here's a list of things I want you to buy over a day. Okay, that's more like it. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. That was the same prize as well, wasn't it? It was a £100,000 job, £100,000 a year. So A year as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, was, that's, that was what it was to begin with, I'm pretty sure. And then like in the late seasons, it turned into like a bigger cash prize, but it was one-off. Then it was an investment into a business. But before it was a, like a hundred grand a year salary, which is mad. So much. Yeah. So it was six months after that seven-day campout in Dalston that the footage Tim recorded was aired on Channel 4. Remember them? These were the guys that they originally thought they were going to be friends with. Yeah. It was aired on Channel 4 in a documentary aptly titled The Great Reality TV Swindle. The programme pieced together Tim's footage with new shots of the aforementioned confrontation of Mr. Russian and former participant Louise's trip to go see his mum, Margaret. Wow. Rupert Smith, a journalist for The Guardian, who wrote about the scandal shortly after it happened, ended his piece, ended his piece saying, quote, Nick Russian has been put to shame. Although it would surprise nobody if he pops up again in another outrageous disguise and somehow parlays his disgrace into a television career. But, as far as we know, he never did pop up again. Since 2002, there have been no reported sightings of Nick Russian. It's probably safe to say that should he have found his way back into the entertainment industry, it would likely be following yet another personal rebrand, and he may have succeeded in shedding his Nick Russian persona for a totally fresh start. What I'm trying to say is he could be among us. <laughs> okay. Just just pan to, pan to Leicester Square and just zoom out, just watching all these people come and go as you wonder, which one of these is the artist formerly known as Nick Russian? Maybe he's Banksy. Well, maybe, maybe. It's, hey, it's got a K in it, so it's entirely plausible. <laughs> it's entirely plausible. Wow. What, they what were like, a... sir, we have no other K names left except for this <laughs> weird nickname that seems to be some kind of typo. I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. And, but I'll take it. I don't care what it is. I'll take it. Thanks, is it? Yeah, I'll turn that into something. You'll see. I'll be famous. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm famous, but no one knows me. Perfect. <laughs> God. I mean, if no one knows who Banksy is, then no one knows that it's also Nick Russian. I think everyone knows now. I think there's no other explanation. Nick Russian disappeared. Banksy started doing really well. Hey, you could call it a coincidence if you want. I'm just saying, if we employ logic, it makes perfect sense. Nick Russian is Banksy. We solved it. That's it. And I love how it's come full circle, by the way. Like, it was, it was reality TV. And then it turned into a documentary about reality TV. So it's kind of reality TV squared, right? Exactly. And uh, they got that promise. They got that promise of being, I mean, not a hundred grand, obviously, but other than that. <laughs> exactly. Can't imagine they really got much, to be honest. But... Yeah. They got tons of heartache and, you know, probably a good amount of... Uh, <laughs> Of, of, of mental issues courtesy of Nick giving them an awful awful time but you know there you go made it onto made it onto a documentary so was it worth it <laughs> <laughs> I 
Glennis, what do you think? Was that worth it? I do you think do you think reality TV is worth it after after all of that? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. It's got a lot of better things done, hasn't it? It's a lot more. People know what they're doing. Uh, it's quality TV, really. So fair play, fair play. I feel emotionally exhausted. That that was a that was a ride. It's been a journey. Perhaps this story has inspired you. Perhaps it has reminded you of a little story that you've come across. Funny you should say that, Glennis. It actually has. Okay, so my case is is about two YouTubers, right? Josh Peters and Archie Manners, who tricked some celebrities into auditioning for the movie Borat 3. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. Didn't Borat 2 just come out? Yeah, you're right. It did just come out because that's the whole thing. There is no Borat 3. Mm. So they were recording auditions and they were doing it as an advertisement actually, as it turned out, for Borat 2. So, oh, wow. That, um, that's, there's layers there. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, very layered. So these guys, I should say, off the top, they're seasoned pranksters, okay? They're fraud oh. pros. Um, there's, a, there's a prank a little while back where they tricked Katie Hopkins into flying to Prague to pick <gasps> up an award. Oh, my God. Remember yeah, this? I remember this. Yeah. Um, I think you might need to give Katie Hopkins a little bit of an intro to our international listeners. I think you're right. I think, Kate, okay, so Katie Hopkins uh, is a lady who, let's say, isn't very nice. She's not very nice. Um, she's got very, I'd say, very extreme right-winged views to the point where she's been cancelled off of Twitter. Is cancelled the right word? She's been banned from Twitter. Literally, they Twitter have decided mm, not for us. You're not for us uh, because of <laughs> we've seen what we of, need to see. And it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a no. But thanks for playing. Funnily enough, uh, she first came to prominence through The Apprentice. <gasps> she was a she was a contestant on The Apprentice a was long, she? long time ago. Yeah, that's how she kind of first got onto TV, I believe. Oh. Um, and it was through that then she started getting other opportunities and became like sort of quote unquote TV personality. And uh, she was, yeah, she was, she was terrible. And then, so yeah, so she's been pretty bad, you know, spouting a lot of racist views, a lot, a lot of extremist views. And now she's been, you know, kicked off of Twitter, which is where she sort of did a lot of her, you know, baiting uh, and hating. So. Uh, yeah, so she's just an awful, awful person. So basically, they flew her out to Prague to pick up an award, which I can't remember what the full name of the uh, award is, but when it when it gets abbreviated, it spells out C-U-N-T. Uh, <laughs> so l- listen, these guys, they smashed it. and There's, there's quite that, that famous Fado, isn't it, where she's sort of smiling and accepting that award and there's the, that lovely, uh, lovely phrase behind her which of course in the uk we use uh in a much uh different way i mean it, it I'm, it's 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 almost like bitch you know it's like so yeah to that kind of level pretty much yeah. pretty much so yeah, yeah she it's went more... to accept her bitch award exactly exactly so obviously these guys they know what they're doing it's it, it's it's a really clever pranking i would say 
uh, really entertaining, frankly. And so they had a lot to follow, right? They had a lot to follow. So when I first read up on this particular case, I thought they would be getting some like sort of smaller celebrities and people a bit more local, right? But no, they put in an absolute shift and they got massive celebrities in. So they got Jimmy Carr, they got David Walliams, David oh, Spade. Yeah, all massive comics and actors. Yeah. They got, um, there's a YouTuber called Jason Nash, who's really big, got millions of YouTube subscribers. They got UK politician Anne Widdicombe. <laughs> Anne <laughs> Widdicombe, which, by the way, I don't know, I can't picture in my mind the moment Anne Widdicombe receives an email being like, do you want to be in Borat 3? And she's like, oh, well, yes, this would be a lovely change to the career as a state. She just, she was, and she, she was keen. Uh, Perry Edwards, you know, the singer from Little Mix, like proper mm-hmm. A-list celebrities. Yeah. yeah. They were they were very, very smart practices. They got a range of people. So it, so that this video that they were going to make was entertaining for TikTokers and, and grandparents alike, right? You've got your Anne Widdicombe there. You've got your, you've got your Jason Nash as well. So uh, they, they obviously put in a shit ton of work for this because it's not, it's not easy reaching out to massive celebrities and mm. getting a response but they they posed as casting directors and managed to set up zoom meetings with all of those uh, aforementioned celebrities right um and so here's, here's here's something crazy they they wrote like a big section of a fake script for borat 3 because obviously they needed people to like you know rehearse lines so they, I mean, look, I write scripts and I know how much work that takes. So I think they really like earn the ability to pull off fraud in this instance, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't usually, I wouldn't usually like, you know, condone it. But writing scripts is hard. So if you're going to, if you're going to do that, you earn it. You earn the fraud that you're committing, I'd say. Um, so what happened was, right, they, they set up these meetings and they started to get everyone to like read out ridiculous bits of script. So, so there were times where they were getting like Anne Widdicombe to read out classic phrases like, you know, very nice, you know, how Borat does. And then she'd be like, um, very nice. And they'd be like, no, no, very nice, very nice. And it would just go, <laughs> it just went on like six Aww. times. So, <laughs> and, and, and here's another thing I loved, right? Obviously, they were finding all of this hilarious. But because they were doing all of this during the times of COVID, they had masks on during the auditions. So, like, they're asking, like, people to read stuff out and they're just laughing. But you can't really tell because they've got their masks on. So they were really, like, (laughs) they were really, like, able to push it. Um, Yeah, but no, I guess... um... I think we've all sort of gotten used to making sort of f- funny faces under our masks um, over over COVID. And I guess, yeah, one of the things perhaps I have not utilized is also getting to laugh at people. Um, I <laughs> yeah. wonder if they feel the same as Debbie, you know, the dream. Well, I think, I think, yeah, possibly. I think... I think when you go into Hollywood, you think this is all, you know, going to the Oscars and stuff is great, but I'll know when I really made it. And that's when I'm in 
a Borat film that is, you know, at least past Borat 2. That's when I'll know it's happened for me. And obviously, since it didn't happen for them, it must be truly, truly heartbreaking. And, you know, after they're done being annoyed for about 10 seconds and moving on to the next script, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure that was a heartbreaking time in that interval in between. Well, I mean, as I said earlier, I like to come in on episode 89 because that's when I know. And there's similar approach. They were like first to finding their feet. Yes, okay, they sold out blockbuster hits. But with, in terms of the sort of creative integrity, you got to wait till at least three, I say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Three is where three is where, you know, perceptions of society will be shattered. You know, one and two, just fun and games. Three, that's what it's about. You know, if Harry Potter has anything to do with this analogy, then three, oh, three is where it gets spicy. Things get flipped on their head. Lord of the Rings, three. That was the big one, wasn't it? <laughs> I think. There's three. Yeah, yeah, there's three films. Yeah, the yeah, trilogy. Yeah, I was right. I was no, right. It's a trilogy. Big time, big time. Trilogy, yeah. Well, hey, trilogies, exactly. Why are trilogies so big? Because the third one, that's the big one. That's the big one that you exit on. Okay. Well, what, what a lovely time we've had. You had a nice time. I've had a nice time. I've had a lovely time. Yeah, I've learned a lot. Moral of the story. Moral of the story is change your name as many times as it takes to become successful. That's what I'm taking from this. Cool. What are you going to go for after this? What are we? I need to find the consistent letter. I think I'm going to keep the M. Yeah. So maybe, uh, you know, Michael. Yeah. Something like that. It's going to be hard to pull off, you know, with the way I look. People are going to be like, Michael. I'm going to be like, yes, that's, yeah. Damon. Who's Damon? He's gone. Michael. It's Michael from now on. And then it's going to be Christmas. And I'm going to be, hey, guys, you remember me? There's, um, well, forget about Michael as well. I'm going for uh, Matthew. And then that's the one that I'm going to be infamous for if this story has taught me anything. Yeah. Big I time. mean, his third one was a little bit more spicy. Yeah. Maybe. I, don't know, I Matthew, mean, was really? it? Was it? A Matthew. Nikita. Fine. Nikita, fine. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, Nikita, because Nikita is a Russian name as well, isn't it? It's a Nikita Russian. So mine will obviously be Matthew English. Um, Matthew boring American. <laughs> seems like uh, seems like it'll be a setup for success. Who knows? That's what I yeah. reckon. Um, if the listeners have decided that you are the most wonderful person and they want to find you on the internet to tell you in various ways, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where 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 should they go? Well, there's probably three locations I would send them. Number one, Twitter, at DSBamra, um, or Instagram and TikTok, where it's Damon.Bamra. So, D-A-M-A-N. How do we spell Bamra? Uh, Bamra is B-A-M-R-A-H. So that's B-A-M for Michael, R-A-H. Or Matthew. Or Matthew, Yes. Um, yes, and of course those will be in the show notes as well, so you know, 
do do what you need to do there. Um, if you have enjoyed your time with us today, please do like the podcast. Uh, that's not a thing. If you have enjoyed your time with us today, please do follow the podcast on Apple Spot Apple Spotify. That's just not Apple how. Spotify. Yeah, yeah, the one massive conglomerate. Please do follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever else you get your lovely podcasts. Rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. Maybe you have a friend who uh, likes to change their name a lot and you need to show them a cautionary tale. Um, maybe you have a friend who is obsessed with applying for reality shows and signing dodgy contracts. Another great person to refer oh, us to. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe you have a friend who has nothing better to do than spend an hour with two darling humans. Oh, that's it. That's You've it. got loads of friends like that. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much for joining. Um, um I, don't, I don't know how to end these things. I don't still, I don't want to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.